And now it's time to enter the lair, and we're heading back in time to speak to one of the most influential players in Perth Lynx history. She is part of an elite group of women to have won a WNBA championship for the club, but she stands alone as the only grand final MVP in Perth Lynx history. Tanya Fisher, welcome to the Dribble Podcast. Thank you, Craig. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's start on that historic night in 1992. It's so long ago that Paul Keating was Prime Minister. Perth Wildcats have won only two titles. Shane Warren test career had produced four for 386. I was in year 11 and our producer wasn't born. So if we go back there, it was the waste breakers at the time. You were known as you beat Daniel Dong 58-54. What are your mm-hmm. standout memories of the game? Well, um, my standout memories were, I can remember turning to Natasha when the final buzzer blew and looking at her and just going, thank God. Because <laughs> it had been such a, a hard year and such a, a transformative year for us as a team. I mean, we'd started, you know, really getting some traction when Timsey came over, but that year was the first year that we were under the care and direction solely with Waste and, and driven by Tom Ma. We'd been through an extensive fitness regime to bring us up to that point. We'd, we'd endured, you know, the start of the season. Then we had a month break because they had the Barcelona Olympics in the middle of it, which Timsey and Robin were involved with. So we had to survive keeping up a training regime over the month, a bit similar to what the girls are facing these days as well with the way that the schedule is. And then finally playing the, the grand final in October. So it was a really long season when you look at the fact that pre-season started in January. You mentioned names like Timsey, Robin, Tom Ma, like <laughs> Michelle Timms, Robin Ma, Tully Bevelacqua was in that group as well, and, and Tom Ma. They're, they're iconic names in, in Australian basketball, and you were quite young at the time. What was it like to be hanging around those sorts of people as a young person? Um, I don't think at the time when you're when you're in it, you appreciate the the significance of the moment. I mean, I mean, Robin playing alongside Robin Ma. Let me just tell you, I have I still think to this day, if I had to pick the number one person on my team, it would be her because she the woman just never makes an error. She's just where she needs to be all the time, and she was still out running most of us on beach runs when she was six months pregnant after we took out the title as well. She's she is and will always be in my mind as being one of the most intimidating players I've ever come across in my life. Um, uh, Timsy, we've been playing with for two years by then, so we were well accustomed to her quirky sense of humour. But again, she's just unbelievably inspirational. Tom Ma was by far and away the best coach I've ever had ever. Like he, he's a teacher by training, and it comes out in everything that he does. He's prepared, he plans, he structures, and he very rarely actually yells. He doesn't have to. He just gets his point across in other ways. And Tully Bevelacqua, believe it or not, was just the little junior hanging around the end of the bench at that stage, sort of looking on with wide eyes. And uh, we had no concept of what she was going to become either. So yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a quite an inspirational group when I look back and um, and I'm honoured to have been able to play for and with the people that were there. So how old were you at the time? Because you, you'd been around for a few years at that point. What what, what age were you in, in, in that in, when you won that oh, title? Oh, do I have to give that away? It's hard because it makes them realise how old you are. I'm not trying to give the, the listeners a concept of where you sort of sat in, the, in that group of, of big names. I was in my very early 20s. Very early, that, so, was right, yeah. that was what I thought you were going to say, very early 20s. Uh, so when you look at information about the game back then is is quite hard to find because there aren't a lot of records, unfortunately. But what I've been able to find in our library is you scored 15 points, 11 of them came in the first half, and a match report described you as having a swag of rebounds. Um, <laughs> can you talk about your game specifically? Um, I think that, um, look, they had a hard time. We had a, we had a really, you look at the first five that we had, we had a, an extremely skilled group. 
every single person that was on the on the floor in that first five particularly and that flooded over into the bench as well but the first five any single one of us could have actually scored easily the 15 points and customarily did so but I think it was just that I took advantage of the fact that you can't shut all five of us down at the at the same time so as much as you'd love to say yeah I was a champion it was very much in my mind um, I had no concept of what I'd scored until the end of the game was coming because it was all about a team effort and a team way of trying to get the ball in the hole to win it you know so it was only a four-point margin in the end. No one thought we could do it. We we had already annoyed the East Coast by securing the grand final on our home court, so um, so we're already fighting against that. Um, so I remember the game. It like you know it was it was tough. It was it was unbelievable, and and I see my own performance only as a reflection of what that group was. Then it was just an amazing group. It's so hard to win at any level of sport, and you went so close again a few years later. You had a one-point loss in another grand final, mm. got down to a final three then lost another mm. grand final to a young AIS team that included Lauren Jackson and half the Opals team for the future. Like, <laughs> How do you reflect on winning one and then being so close to others? Like, A lot of people say that they only look at the losses and they're the ones that they wake up remembering every single day. Do you celebrate all the time that you won one or do you look back and in frustration you didn't win more like a lot of professional athletes do? Oh, God, that's, a, that's, a, that's a tough question. You always remember the losses hurt the most, but they're meant to hurt the most because the wins are so much fewer. You know, like they're, they're the ones that you, you're you lucky if you get a handful of them in your lifetime because there's only one one going at the end of every season, you know. So the losses sting though. The one-point loss to um, the next year after that was that was a killer and that went right down to the line, like right down to the last shot. And, and um, you know, I wasn't involved in the grand final against the AIS. So I'd sort of stepped back and, and came back in later after that. But, I mean, that team, Lauren Jackson, I can remember playing against her when she was 14. She was already formidable, you know. So um, it, when, when you look back and reflect, the you know, what the actual WA team was doing at that point in time, they stepped well out and, out and above and beyond. But, um, yeah, the losses hurt. But the win was, I have no words. <laughs> and, and MVP, weren't you hit? Does it, do people raise it with you much or as being the MVP? Or do they talk to you more about being the championship winner when you when people talk about your success within basketball circles? Well, as you say, there's not a lot of information out there. So it was only the people that were there that understood what that was, you know, what that was like that night that sort of remember, you know, the, the point status at the end of the game. But, um, but the 1992 fi- grand final comes up all the time because, of course, it's the only one we've secured so far. I'm hoping that we're going to come close uh, to doing it this year. But, um, yeah, so far it's the only one. So that's what people tend to remember more. Uh, It's a shame because I look back on that and because we didn't have social media and we just had less of a representation, you know, less um, mediums to be able to um, present the girls that a lot of the history for key players in that time has kind of been lost and is not actually um, brought up as much as it should be. So I think it's more the win that, and, you know, like I don't like to point out my performance, like I said, like I think it was part of the team's team side of things, but it's definitely the win that sticks in people's mind because <laughs> we just haven't had enough of them. <laughs> uh, we, we, have, we've, we haven't had enough, as you say, and we had the 2015-16 team, which went close, you know, got to a grand final and lost the 2017-18 team, which was ripped off from even getting mm. to a grand final. We've seen it in the AFL recent years, Sydney break a drought, then Geelong break a drought, then the Bulldogs, mm. Richmond, Melbourne, and how emotional it was, not only mm. for the players, the fans, but the ex-players as well. Do you feel like the, the players of the past are hanging out for someone else to win a championship for this club? Oh, it's it's long overdue, like seriously. And 
It's look, you know, like it's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a hard call. We really want them to win again. We really want there to be a history behind that because I think that that actually, in a way, enhances what we did back in '92. You know, and it gives us a chance to talk about the history again as well, and sort of you know, and to make sure that credit is given where credit was due. Um, and yeah, so we've all we're all hanging out. We all, and I think we're all <laughs> uh, we're almost getting to the point where we're too scared to hope because we've come close so many times and we just haven't pipped and got that gold medal yet. So what's the <laughs> bond like between yourself and that group that 92 group how strong has the bond been forged by that championship um like it look it's still there today you know it's it's still there in the in the um respect and the connection that we have with Timsey and robin the hardest part about that bond is that it was such a successful group that they ended up spread out all over australia so it's you know but thank god for social media and you know and um and facebook and ways to keep in touch now so we're all parts of the same group and all part same conversation tash Barges was based up in Port Hedland for years and her job up there and so I got to visit her when I was um, up there working which I can consider myself extremely blessed to be able to do so to be able to catch up with her about three or four times a year which is fantastic so the bond is always there and it, and it transcends like even a word like friendship because only the people that were in it can understand what the cost was to actually bring that home. And you had a COVID safe number of people to a house on the weekend to watch the Lynx play their first game back in Perth for a while. <laughs> How many of those, co- that, that, that number of COVID safe people were, were from that group and how many of them were from other groups you've played with and against over the years? Yeah, not from, there was no one from that group. The group that I had was got sort of people that were involved to get us to the point where we were competing in WNBL and um, people that sort of came after that. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then after that it's the junior contingent because, of course, I've made sure that my girls understand the history and the importance and the relevance of the people that came before them so that they get to enjoy the benefits of what they did on the back of what they did. So, yeah, no, but it, we, <laughs> we all sat at home, did the COVID safe thing um, to, to be able to watch the game. So both on Saturday and then last night again as well. So, yeah, yeah. But um, because we're still not, there's still not enough of us in one place. Timsy and Michelle are over in, uh, Timsy and Robin are over in um, Victoria. Tasha's still based up in Port Hedland. Um, Lisa McLean's the only one here in Perth with myself and everyone else is spread out all over the globe. Tully, of course, is back in America. Yeah, it's a, it's a widely fun group. <laughs> So let's go back to the 87 team you mentioned. That's the Waste Rockets, they were called at the time, and uh, you won the national title, which led to being added to the WNBL. You're the only person who was part of that team and part of the grand final team. What was that 87 experience? Because we wanted to go into the WNBL. We were told by our East Coast counterparts that in order to qualify, we had to actually take out a conference league um, title to do so. We didn't have the budget to be able to go over there and to be able to compete on a weekly basis. So we actually had to go on a road trip that consisted of 17, uh, 17 games in 21 days in every state of Australia. And we figured out that in order for us to be able to qualify to get through to the finals, we would have to win a minimum of nine and we ended up taking out 10. And then we had to go back and play, compete against in Adelaide in the grand final, in the finals and grand finals. And we took out the championship, the Conference League championship, where no one said that we could. So it was the stuff that you should really write movies about that road trip. It really, it required incredible personal sacrifice for, you know, women to be able to pack up their lives and to go on the road for 21 days, you know, when they're not, you're not getting paid for it. And, um, and the fact that we actually managed to take out the entire title was just something they never believed that we could do. So, yeah, it was fantastic. It's an insane mm. schedule. That's ridiculous. <laughs> 
Yes, it really was. Yeah. So when you look at their schedule, this current team at the moment, like they were eight games in 24 days, I think it was, and then it's going to be another eight games in 26 they're working through at the moment. Does there feel like you could some similarities to the history of the club that maybe you know, they're, with finals thrown in, they're going to have to win you know, a certain number of games in, it'll be 12 or 13 games they'll play in 40 days or so. It, it's, it is leaning towards the same sort of trend, isn't it? It is. And look, and, and look I wish that we... I wish I always wish that because um, I I would have liked to have heard from players that came before me when I was playing too because you do get the benefit of their wisdom and that's why having Robin was so significant for us. But when I hear about their schedule, it doesn't really matter what the schedule is. Yeah, you can fight for a better one, you can fight for a, a fairer deal, you can fight for better terms. But the bottom line is, it is what it is, and once it's set in stone and that's what it's going to be, then you just have to suck it up and go at it hard, and you just can't accept any excuses as being a reason for for losses or for not getting through is just what you have to do you know so we've done it before we'll do it again can they win it do they have the talent do they have the game plan do they have teamsmanship that you need all that sort of all of the the things that are required to win a championship other than talent do you think they've got it i do I do. I think the thing that they're struggling with at the moment is a um, common WA problem for women's basketball. We lack the layers where we can actually get adequate game practice um, of, a, of the level that we need when we're back here in WA. That's a, that's an issue for us. So if you look at the team that played on Saturday night after they'd had their break versus a team that played Monday night, it was like polar opposites. And although Scherf came back in on the Monday night, just the way they played, like one player can't make that level of difference as, as dominant as she is. Is nothing taken, nothing away from Scherf. Um, the, t- the team that, that fronted up to play Adelaide last night was a completely different team than the one that stepped onto the court on Saturday. So they just need to hold on to that because that is that's grand final winning stuff right there. How do you rate Jackie Young at the moment as a basketballer? She's um in some pretty damn good form. Oh, she's hit form at the right end of the season, and that's when it counts. And she was just uh, she was amazing, absolutely amazing. They just really, really struggled to put a lid on anything she was doing last night, and that that in turn frees up um, Samuel. More and they've got to when they've got to actually put a lot of um, defensive intensity into into Jackie. Then you know Sammy gets a little bit more of a rain, and they've got um, they've got Mabry coming back in as well. So they've got another chief scorer coming in. So it's going to be you know the the more they have come back and when they come back full contingent, the harder they're going to be to stop. So it was quite inspirational. Well, speaking of Young, it's probably not a surprise to see she'll appear in our Dribble Podcast MVP votes for this week. So for the game against the Sydney <laughs> Uni Flames, which wasn't great, it's fair to say, it was hard to find three, uh, but we went one vote. <laughs> Darcy Garbin for 10 rebounds, 2 blocks and 3 steals. 2 votes Sammy Wickham, 14 points, 5 assists and 6 steals. And 3 votes Jackie Young, 28 points, 6 rebounds and 4 steals. And then the Adelaide game where everyone played well, it was quite amazing. Mm. 1 vote to Alex Chibatoni, 13 points mm. including 3 three-pointers and 7 assists. 2 votes Sammy Wickham for 22 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists and 4 steals. And 3 votes Jackie Young who did everything, 30 points, oh, 7 yeah. rebounds, yep. 6 assists and 5 steals. Marina Mabry's Still leads on 15, but Young is now on 14 votes, overtaking Lauren Scherf on 13. Now, we've talked a lot about 92. Let's talk about more recent times. You're a former East Perth Eagles coach in the SBL. What are your favourite memories as coach? <laughs> oh, wow. Um, favourite memories as coach? Probably the, the games that we did actually manage to see were, um, come up and win. Like, we we took out Willerton in my second year, and the games that we came close, like, it was a development phase when I was coaching them, and I took the hits on the chin because the club and myself sat down and worked out what we had to do to put us in a better position, you know, like it was a five-year plan. So, um, so the ones that were that stand out in my mind are the ones where that potential started shining through, and other people got to see what we were doing, and that certainly held true for this 
year when they went right through to you know got knocked out just for the preliminary final. So, my yeah, they're they're the things that you live for as a coach. I think it's uh, for me, it's not it's not just the wins. For me, it's actually seeing the fruit of labours to see people come through to see what you're doing actually start to bloom and and hit fruition. That was that's what I'll remember from it. Yeah. Would you get back into it? Do you think is it something that you got a passion for, or or watching your daughters play is that more important to you at the moment? Well, I think I think that's got to take precedence for a little bit. Like it's for me to take a step back and and just be able to be their support system because it hasn't always been possible to to do everything. And um, from a personal level, I've got masters coming up this year um, for basketball over here in Perth that's being played in April and and um, and training for swimming. So I I'm prioritising myself as a as an athlete at the moment over coaching. It's probably something I'll go back into later. But I I like to work more in the developmental phase more so than the than the elite level. I love watching the elite level and I can and I certainly understand it, the mindset of it but I think that the bit that's missing over here in WA is that development piece I think that we've got a lot of gaps in that and that translates out to our difficulties uh, it, it, from a female perspective when we compete at nationals and the juniors and things like that so I'd like to be able to contribute to that in the future and to, to be able to provide a solution for that or to be you know be able to contribute in some way to other people providing a solution but we'll just leave it open and see what happens. I imagine you've contributed fairly heavily to Erin and Bree's basketball journeys one uh, Aaron, was Erin went to the US for three years was it am I right it was three or was yes. it four yep three years and yep, they're, three both, years, they're yep. both at East Perth now like, where, where do you see their careers taking them um, well I've got two very very diverse daughters one's more of an academic and one's more of an athlete Erin lives breathes and and dies for basketball um, and Bree's Bree loves playing it is a is an outstanding athlete but is more she's on her fifth year of law and criminology so she's got a fairly hefty um, you know commitment career wise coming up for her at the end of this year so it's up to them, but I, I always encourage them to, to stay competitive because you never know. Like, you know, you only have to look at Emma Gandini like, coming in this year and the impact that she's had. Like, she's she's been amazing when she hits on the when she gets on the court. Given that she's had no exposure to WNBL and yet every time she's come on the floor, she's hit the stat sheet in significant ways, you know, for her very limited time out there. So you just never know at what stage of your life that the opportunity comes up and you're in the right place and headspace to be able to, to take that on. So I encourage my daughters to, to look at it the same way. So Erin's still keen to um, to make her mark in NBL 1, but she's coming back from a knee injury at the moment. Um, and Bree, I think, is happy to compete in that, but I don't think she's looking at moving forward on from that. But who knows when that will change? So that's that's on them. That's their journey and their journey to define. You mentioned your swimming before. Training to swim to Rotto, like where does the motivation <laughs> come from? Like it's, it's amazing. I reckon athletes never stop being athletes in their own head, but it's hard to do it <laughs> as you get 30 years beyond the 1992 championship. Um, so where, where did the motivation to try to swim to Rottnest come from? Well, I've always liked swimming. I'm, I'm a strong swimmer, but I'm not what I'd say the fastest swimmer, but I'm certainly strong. Um, so and so, I would never go for. I would never compete in swimming in a, a like in a like in a sprint. You wouldn't believe how how fast women can be at an older age group. Like it's just it's quite incredible how long they can keep that competitive urge to 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 go. But um, swimming to Rottnest is always something I want to do because I just I enjoy the process so much and I enjoy I have when I'm undergoing any kind of physical activity and my ankles won't let me run too much these days. They are still complaining about the career that I had in basketball. So swimming's a really good compromise for me. It's something that I can keep moving forward and keep challenging myself and keep pushing myself physically without 
it having the same toll on my body. And it's quite frankly, at this stage, it's like a meditative process. Like it's just, it's one of those things that I've found a real love for later in life. And so I've got to have a goal. If I'm going to actually be doing something, I need to know where I'm going with it. Uh, it's brilliant. Well, just finally, we have a segment on the Dribble podcast called This or That. Jump to either side of the fence, depending on which, you, which way you would prefer to lean. And the question this week is, we're seeing such a rise in the standard of both NBL and WNBL. Do you think 40 minutes is still the right time for games or is it time to move back to 48 minute matches? Time to move back to 48 minute matches. I can never, I can never figure why you want to shorten that. It takes away the elements of like fatigue is a big thing, and if you really want to see that, you really want to test an athlete to their to their limits of their endurance. To make it longer. It's, it adds another element to the competition where you've got to have better aerobic capacity to see the match through. So, yeah, I'd like to see it at 48 minutes again. Oh, it should be good fun watching a bit more basketball every single week. That's for sure. Well, look, thank <laughs> you for joining us. You are a towering figure in Perth Link slash Breakers history, and it's been great to give people a reminder of both your success and the team's success and the contribution that you've all made to basketball in this state. Thanks, Craig. Appreciate that.